Welcome back, friends. This is Ibrahim with Engage Your World, and Matt is with me today, and we're thankful that we're able to share what we've been learning about sharing the gospel. And what better than to learn from the apostles themselves? Last time we covered chapter two of Acts. This time we'll be covering chapter three. We hope you've had a chance to read ahead, as we mentioned last week, the book of Acts chapter 17. Today we'll be covering chapter three, and we're excited to share with you what we found as well. Again, just really excited to be together again, uh, looking over the scriptures, diving into chapter three of Acts. And in case this is the first episode you're listening to, what we're doing here is covering not a new uh, gospel presentation method, a new set of Bible verses to quote, but an overall framework and approach to sharing your faith based on what we see in the New Testament, specifically here, the book of Acts, modeled by the apostles, and thinking about how do we apply that today. Again, if you haven't been with us uh, previously, we're using an acronym that we've developed that we think faithfully covers the overall approach that we see from the apostles, and uh, it spells out G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel. Gauge your audience, offer common ground, shift to Christianity and the gospel, provide evidence, explain the gospel, and leave with a clear next step. And again, those are not necessarily sequential as though they have to happen in that order every time, but those are the elements we find. Uh, so I guess with that as our short intro for this time, uh, let's dive right into Acts chapter three. Ibrahim, if you would kick us off by reading through the chapter in case anyone out there has not uh, is driving or is not able to follow along in their Bible, why don't we cover that and give them some context? Yes. I'd like to give that context because I think it's important that people know at the outset, these are not just stories, but these are actual events. These are yes. called occasional. These are things that happened. And the uh, gospel takes place in everyday life. That's one of the things we talk about, sharing your faith in everyday life, right? That's right. So that's what we have here. Let me start off in chapter three uh, with the lame beggar who is healed. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple, like handouts. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Continuing in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of your fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. 
but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, and this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring for all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the people who have spoken from Samuel and to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Wonderful. So, Ibrahim, I love how you kicked us off there by talking about engaging in everyday life. You know, that's what we're about at Engage 360. How do you share your faith in everyday conversations? And when we start to look at our framework here, our, our G-O-S-P-E-L acronym framework, when we start off with gauge your audience, well, this was an occurrence that happened just as they were going. So, you know, you, you're you the one who pointed this out. So as you kind of look there at the beginning of the chapter, Ibrahim, what what is that everyday sort of occurrence that they happen to end up with an evangelism opportunity because of? Well, this doesn't happen every day, but it was a miracle. <laughs> well, sure. I sorry, I should have said so in, in verse one, you kind of get this context of John and Peter and John, they didn't set out to say, hey, let's at least from what we see here, let's go share the gospel. Let's go do some evangelism. It seems like they were just going to the temple for prayer. So, yeah. Yeah. They weren't necessarily hunting around, like knocking on doors and looking for opportunities. They, they were just doing their everyday deeds, you know. They were going up to the temple, as would be their custom, right? The hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This is, yeah, this yeah. means this is their religious practice or what have you. Yeah. That's, and this is why I love doing this in a group and, and, why this interactive type study is so fruitful. I've read that, but it didn't jump out to me in that way. And Ibrahim, you picked right up on it. They they were just out and about, if you will. They they had a task in mind, which was seemingly going to the temple for prayer. And then God had another plan. <laughs> and, you know, they they hadn't set out with this in mind, yet they were ready and willing and and took the opportunity that God gave them. So what a great what a great thing to point out. So are you telling me then that you could possibly be going to Walmart or something, grocery store, <laughs> and somebody meets you there and all of a sudden you have a gospel conversation? That's right. And that's, it can be that easy. Now, exactly what to say. And obviously, I, I don't think we're uh, necessarily going to be healing every single person we interact with. 
But the overall framework, the overall concept isn't that different than our own lives. You're, God is going to give you opportunities if you are faithful and praying and seeking him and asking uh, for opportunities to partner with him and sharing the, the hope that you have in Christ. You will have things like this happen, uh, and it, it can be just a, something that jumps out in everyday life, and, and you will see that happen. So I think that's a great way to kick us off with, with this situation. So we have the backstory here of this man who is, is uh, healed uh, by Peter and John, and so that is what leads us into, and that's our, our kickoff into the, the meat of what we want to talk about starting in chapter, uh, sorry, starting in verse 11 of chapter 3. Uh, but the context that gave them an opportunity to speak is this miraculous healing. So maybe just to drive it home a little bit more before we move on, Ibrahim, it may not be a miraculous thing that you do in your life that is what jump, what gives you the opportunity with someone, but it may be how you persevere through something difficult. It may be how you do an act of kindness for someone. It may be that uh, it's it's something where you show care for someone when no one else has. It may just be something that you're just kind of doing and is a normal-ish thing for you to do, but it stands out and it's different. And it's something that that makes the person say, whoa, what's What's different? I've, there's something about you that's different. And, and I think we should have that uh, as Christians. Not that we're perfect by any means, but uh, there should be certain marks in our life that at least some people who are open see and say, hey, there's something else going on there. Um, and that could be what draws them in. So I think that's uh, really helpful uh, to have in mind. So we have this context here. Peter and John do this miracle, heal this man. And now all the people come rushing. Okay, so who would these people be, do you think, Ibrahim, that come rushing in astounded at what happened? Well, it does say men of Israel. So yeah. are we going to go with that again or what? Yeah, just or just people out and about. I mean, just again, it seems like people who were just around. It, this could be a pretty diverse group. Obviously, who he most directly addresses is the Jews themselves when he says men of Israel. People, uh, you know, I'd probably take that to mean in a way people of Israel, but uh, men of Israel, perhaps he's speaking directly to the men. Um, but but yeah, this is just a group of people who happened to be around when this miraculous event unfolded. So um, being largely, or at least what he addresses is the Jewish aspect, the men of Israel. So same as we had in Acts 2, they're going to be probably somewhat familiar with the scriptures. They're going to be familiar with the concept of the Messiah they're probably going to be familiar with some of the events around the life of Jesus. And so we'll see that he's going to draw on that. Okay, so we, we've got our audience. So he knows he's speaking with Jews primarily. So we shift to or the second element uh, is uh, that we talk about. Part of the framework is, oh, offer common ground. So we see similar to what we talked about in Acts 2, um, he's going to make an appeal to Old Testament. But what he does that's similar, uh, a little different, is he appeals to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. So then as we look at, okay, how does he offer common ground to that audience? He starts off um, appealing to one, we didn't do this of our own power, <laughs> and builds that bridge on 
we're not, this is not us. This is not me, Peter. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, making clear they're not a new and distinct thing. They are the fulfillment. They are the extension of what was believed commonly amongst all of those Jews. It's not some new separate thing. And I think that's so important to have in mind. Uh, And he uses that to build this common ground. Um, And he then appeals to things that they would have known, that they would have seen. They would have known Jesus was delivered over, that they would have known that uh, Pilate uh, was willing to release him. They would have known that instead they take uh, another criminal and have him released and they keep Jesus. And uh, for those familiar with the story, Pilate, in fact, cleanses his hands and says he's not guilty of Jesus's blood because he wanted to release him. And so this is on the Jews because they they called for it. And uh, as we mentioned last time as well, when Peter, when others, when they were addressing the Jews, there were times where they got pretty direct and and uh, I would say brought brought the heat. And so, you know, he says, you denied the holy and righteous one here in verse 14 and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. You know, those are some pretty harsh words. Uh, He was not holding back there. But I think part of what he's trying to do is is show the severity of what happened. Um, And as we know happened in Acts 2, that cut them to the heart. That helped them to respond. Um, So, we have to be very wise with how we approach what we do. Um, and I don't think we want to say, hey, this is a license for us to go be mean and harsh to people. But it does say there are at least times, there are situations where the right thing to do is to show the severity of what has happened. And and so when he was addressing them, that's, that's what he did. Um, we overall have a very relational, very uh, kind, gentle, respectful, amicable approach. Um, but it does show that there can be fruit in the right situation done the right way where you can be pretty direct and firm. And I think sometimes that might be a little bit surprising to people. So any, any thoughts? That probably also speaks to, again, the different type of people you run into, not just by culture, but by persuasion, their worldview or the way they think about things. He's pointing out things that they did directly, at least the people group did, surrounding the events of the crucifixion, condemning Jesus and so forth. Some people need law. Some people need to know they're loved. Some people need to know they're not as good as they think they are if they're prideful people. Because you've met those people that they're good enough to go to heaven. Right. Oh, yeah. Depending on, on who the person is, what you say to them can help them to think about their need for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as as we think of our acronym here and our framework, he really kind of starts to mix the P, providing evidence, and S, shifting, and uh, the common ground. Kind of all of that blurs together here a little bit because he talks about how we were witnesses to this. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. That's the that's the main evidence that you're going to see over and over and over. And if you get anything from this podcast, anything from Engage 360 training, it is probably most significantly the significance of the resurrection as the proof that Christianity is true, because we see it in the New Testament over and over and over again. Um, 
So he he begins to talk about that um, and and that they they saw him. This happened. He was raised from the dead, and it's this Jesus by faith in his name that has made this man strong. So here he's he's saying giving that explanation of the event, what happened, what you, that miracle you just saw, it's not by our power, but it's by the power of Jesus. Kind of like we talked about last time for those that listen uh, in on Acts 2, pointing to Jesus, not yourself. It's not your opinion. It's not your power. It's Jesus and his opinion and his power that we really need to be following. I was just looking at this passage, verses 13 through 16, or you could just stop at 15. And it, I just saw the contrast where Peter mentions, you delivered, you denied, you killed, God raised. It's almost like not only a comparison contrast, but a climax with God raising him. So showing the the vast distance between what they did, what they thought was permanent and what God did that was permanent. That's right. So there's a contrast when you have uh, misconceptions or you know they thought they were doing something that was right in their own sight. And Peter pointed out they were wrong. Yeah. And that's such a good lead in here to what I think we want to cover next, Ibrahim, which is that after being so stern and harsh and really bringing the heat, as I said, to these people listening to this and saying, you, 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 but God was more powerful. God was not going to be defeated just because you guys were wrong. And then he sort of dials it back a little bit and says, now, brothers, in, in verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So, so well well pointed out, Ibrahim. It had to happen <laughs> in some way, right? That the Messiah had to suffer and die. That was, that was what had to happen. And the prophets had foretold this. The people had just missed it. And Peter's acknowledging, you guys were just ignorant. The rulers were. Now, he doesn't point the finger, but at himself in this passage, though he does at other times, Peter also was confused, right? We think about what did Peter do when Jesus was taken in by the authorities? Well, he didn't, you know, jump in there in the ring with him and say, hey, I'm ready to die as well. That didn't happen initially. In fact, we know he denied even being associated with Jesus initially. And then Jesus restores him after the resurrection once Peter now begins to really put the pieces together because Jesus shows him. Now he goes out and after the resurrection, he is willing to go suffer and even die. And we're probably going to look at some of those instances where Peter was taken in um, and, you know, had this bold witness in the midst of a very dangerous, uh, harrowing situation. Um, But he he dials it back, and and I think as he explains the gospel, the E aspect of our paradigm, um, he explains that the Messiah had to suffer and die. And, and that's something, a common theme that we're going to see that we know Peter and Paul were consistently doing. It was one of the major things to overcome for the Jews, that Jesus was conquering not the Romans, but sin and death. And he didn't he had to suffer and die in order to accomplish that. That was the way God saw fit. And so even though the people did wrong in condemning this innocent man to death and taking uh, this murderer instead in his place out, 
um, that God was still victorious. God still accomplished what he needed to. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing to point out. So the E explaining, he basically clarifies again, the gospel for them so that they would know what they were repenting of, right? That's right. So he's explaining that uh, the Messiah had to suffer and die. And I think encompassed in that is probably this understanding that it, it's not about conquering the Romans. It's not about conquering Pilate. It's not about, that's never what it was meant to be, but it was conquering something even greater. Um, and that, that same power that was at work to restore Jesus from the dead, raise him from the dead, was also at work to restore the health of this man um, that uh, Peter and John had healed. He, in effect, explains Jesus died for sin or conquered sin so that they could repent of sin and in virtue of Christ's sacrifice, receive forgiveness. Yeah, and that it was foretold by all the prophets. So kind of, again, offering that common ground. This is what was foretold. This is something that we should have caught, we should have known about, but we missed. But God recognizes that. We, we acted in ignorance. The rulers acted in ignorance. They didn't understand. And so the Messiah had to suffer and die, and that death accomplished the victory. And then he gives them that L, leave with a clear next step. He gives them that, repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until a time for restoring all things about which God spoke. Okay, so he already has accomplished act one, and in that is the guarantee that the rest of it will be accomplished, um, but there's a time for the people to turn away from their misconceptions, away from their ignorance, and towards the truth. Here, namely, the truth that the Messiah had to suffer and die, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and that his resurrection is the proof that it's actually true. So turn away from those misconceptions, turn away from that ignorance, and turn towards this acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, that he had to suffer and die, and that God accomplished his goals through that death. It was not defeated by it. A very practical way to sum up this exchange, I think, is important. So we won't always get to that point, will we? But in many cases, we can get to that point, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a you know that's a good point to add here as we wrap up this episode, Ibrahim. We're not saying that in every single conversation you're going to get all the way to talking about every element of this. Where it will be more common is a similar situation to what we've covered in Acts 2 and Acts 3, which is Peter addressing a group of already observant Jews, most likely, or to, to some degree, right? So this is, they're familiar with a lot of the concepts. They already believe in one God. They already understand about the Messiah. Now, they don't understand everything. They're confused, but they have that concept. They understand the scriptures. They understand the prophets. And so there's a lot of context there for him to work with. So he's not having to take them very far in the grand scheme of it. Now, our interactions on a daily basis are more and more going to be very far from where he is. We're going to be talking often to people who don't have any understanding of the Old or New Testament. They're not going to understand much about Jesus. They're not going to understand the concept of sin. They're not going to understand the sacrificial system that would have been at the heart of the life of many of these 
Jews who were here in this passage. And so there are a lot of differences. And so we're just looking to move someone closer in every interaction we have. And we want to be prepared to share the gospel uh, in its fullness where possible. But just thinking about what can you do to move this person one step closer to God, that's a victory. That's that's a great thing uh, and something we want to encourage you in. So great point, Ibrahim. Anything else you want to add as we wrap this up? That's about it. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us. Really looking forward to diving into chapter four as we meet together next time, chapter four of Acts. Engage Your World exists to help you know, share, and grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.